it's time for customers who click. Another really interesting brand for us today as I'm speaking with Axel Folds, head of growth at Lalo. We're going to be exploring how they've grown over recent years, how they're managing to scale spend on Facebook uh, using more qualified audiences and touching on a bit of experimentation and their backlink strategy as well. It's a great episode packed with advice for anyone dealing with the big challenges we're seeing in the e-commerce world at the moment, uh, particularly related to the iOS changes and other younger business generally. So with with Lalo uh, only being four years old itself. Let's get Axel on now. Axel, thanks for joining me today. Uh, Would you mind just quickly introducing yourself, give us a bit of your background and how you've got to where you are today? Yeah. Hey, Axel Falls, head of growth at Lalo. Lalo stands for Love All the Little Ones, just for everyone else to know. I started at Lalo about a year ago. And prior to coming to Lalo, I was on the ad agency side for about five years. So in that world, dealing with many different clients across CPG, healthcare, beauty, you name it, running a media and a little bit more unique in the world of e-com strategy and helping a lot of legacy brands focus on e-com and kind of moving away and shifting away from retail. And then prior to that, I had an appliance retailer actually learning the ropes from a merchandising and digital marketing perspective. Okay, good. So you were agency in your last role? Yeah, yeah, for about five years. Yep. Yeah. So how have you found that transition? It's been interesting. The agency that I was at was was pretty large, about 800 people moving to a smaller D2C brand, very scrappy. I found it quite amazing though, really being brand side, learning the ropes across all different aspects of the business has been great. Not just from a, from a paid media perspective, but really kind of understanding the operational aspects of the business, um, supply chain, and what that has done and changed yeah. and evolved over the last year or so. It's been pretty amazing to learn and pick up. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I've, I've kind of done the opposite, really. I've been in-house at some various B2C businesses and then yeah, made the uh, the move to consultancy, which has been fun. Cool. So uh, getting into to Laylight then, what would you say has been the biggest contributor to growth in this last, maybe the last year? Yeah. Yeah. So coming in in May of 2021, it was right around the time that Lalo picked up a round of funding. And and with that, obviously the ability to scale our paid media channels. So, so that that's, you know, first and foremost, kind of what I came in to do, but instead of just hitting, you know, this, the increase on the spend budgets, it's really been a matter of being strategic with where we're spending our dollars, but also understanding, um, you know, what what channels are going to actually drive the growth for our business. So we've done a lot of digging on that front. We haven't jumped into channels without doing our due diligence and understanding, does it work for us organically first? And if it does, then let's start to test incrementally from a paid perspective. So scaling via paid media has definitely been one of our biggest contributors to growth over the last year. Which is not always super interesting because you hear that from a lot of brands. But for us, on top of that, our brand, when I first started, our core products were the high chair and, and the play chair. So a little bit about our business. We we are in the baby furniture space. And when we first launched the high chair was was our our core product. We really started to focus on products within the home. And from there we started to expand. And as we've started to expand, retention has become a bigger part of our business, um, more important part of our business. So we've expanded products that are accessories to our core products, our pillar products, such as tableware with our high chair, 
coloring sheets with our play kit. And so, and with that, we've really started to focus more on how do we get customers to come back and purchase it. And then lastly, being strategic with channel expansion, which I've been a little bit of involved in as well. Our, our business is primarily direct to consumer right now, but the brand and the owners are being very strategic with how we start to expand beyond the world of our own.com. So we've, we've launched strategically with BabyList, which is a baby registry website that really brings on customers earlier on in the adoption stage, doing their research into our category. And also more recently, we've we launched a physical store actually in Soho, New York, okay. which has really been a great fun project during the pandemic, but has definitely started to um, grow pretty, pretty substantially and has been given our brand, a nice kind of like impact from a brand awareness perspective and allowing people in the New York Metro to, to come touch and feel our product, which has been awesome to see. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting that you mentioned making sure, like check and see if a channel works organically for you before doing paid. Now, I mean, I'm not involved in the, the paid, paid acquisition so much uh, anymore for the last couple of years, but back when I was in-house, we actually did it the opposite way, especially when I was at smaller companies. We would actually test on a very limited scale the, the paid side. And if we started to see some traction there, that would then convince us that we can not only scale up the paid, but then start to put resource into the organic side. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, because obviously, especially with social media channels, right, you've, you've got to put a fair bit of work into yeah. the organic side to get the traction. So yeah, we, we just went the, the opposite way with it, really. Yeah. I think for us, it's been a resourcing kind of, you know, a situation that we have where our our brand marketing team is is quite strong. They have a good grasp on the content that works across channels, are able to kind of test pretty quickly to see, you know, what content kind of do our the audiences within specific channels such as Instagram and Pinterest work, and then allowing us to kind of flip that on its head and start to scale. Gradually, from a paid media perspective, the, the newest channel, obviously creating the most buzz right now is TikTok for us. And we we actually just kind of launched that strategy and launched in January from an organic perspective and actually just launched two days ago from a paid perspective. Okay, nice. Yeah, yeah I've been speaking to a few people who have been getting into TikTok the last 18 months. Yeah, probably. yeah. Yeah, and you've got people trying it in different ways. I mean, the... the the general consensus has seemed to be you've got to have someone dedicated to TikTok. Oh, yeah. right? You can't, <laughs> you know, you, you can have maybe have one person do Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, but when it comes to TikTok, you've got to have someone dedicated it to it. And it's got to be someone who knows and understands TikTok. So many nuances that even I, as I've started to dig into the channel over the last month and really be consumed by it, never knew was even possible. Um, from a creative perspective and all of the different functionality within the app that we've been starting to test. And for that channel, I think what we did kind of versus what I was just mentioning and, and kind of like starting to test incrementally is we we really took a step back and really wanted to understand the platform before we dove in. Cause there's 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 so many different pieces of content that you could put onto the platform, but we wanted to understand what what do we see other brands do today and what works for them, speaking to camera directly, first person point of view, using the natural native robotic voice overlaid on the video. There's just so many nuances that we wanted to understand before we started to actually create the and we as we launched two days ago, we we had a whole slew of different assets 
assets that are archived as well that we have, you know, to use over the coming days and weeks and months. So kind of prepped and, and ready. Yeah, and it, and it makes sense, really. I mean, I suppose with maybe with things like Facebook, I suppose on channels where you can test more quickly, like you can, you, if you can, you know, PPC, for example, if your you ads aren't working, you just change the copy, just yep. jump in there, change the copy, change some keywords, whatever. Facebook ads, yeah, maybe you go back to your designer and say, this image isn't working, let's, let's try something different and you can get going with it potentially right. in an hour or so. I guess with TikTok, it, you know, there's more work that has to go into that creative as well. And so if you don't do that research, you're going to dive into it, not really knowing what you're doing, test out a few things. And, and probably a lot of companies would then go, that's not really worked for us. Let's not waste any more time with it. Let's, you know, let's go back to the channels that we know. Right. right. Yeah. You're, you're mentioning other channels. And I think so many brands, especially on the agency side of my past life, really focused on channel by channel. And not so much the ecosystem of all the channels and how they work within each other, with each other, I should say. So, so TikTok, right. And Instagram that we've been historically buying on, you know, those channels don't just work in a silo, even though we can really try to focus on the customer journey from one channel to our website experience and try to like marry the two and convert them on that initial visit. PPC doesn't get a lot of love these days, but it is such an important, vital part of our business right now that we know TikTok isn't going to drive the last click, or maybe it will, you know, eventually. But out of the gate, our focus is to get engagement, to get clicks to our website, and ultimately convert them. I think for our business too, we have to understand that our customers are doing a ton of research, right, and, and yeah. not just buying initially on, on first visit. So. How are we capturing them from other channels, Google PPC, affiliate, and so on after they after they have heard about us? Yeah, I mean it's it, it's not exactly an impulse purchase, is it? No, no. It's, it takes a bit of time. Uh, you've, you've got a fair bit of time to plan it. So you, you might as well do your research, especially if you're not only spending a bit of money, but also you know it's for your new baby, right? right? You want to make sure that's the right product, right? Right, um, exactly. For you, and and I suppose a lot, you know, even more importantly these days, there's the kind of brand values and things as well. Yeah, do they do they actually yep. like the company? That that's a, that's also a super important point to make too. With you know, again, our business not as not the same as a lot of CPG brands, but for for us, understanding the brand value first and foremost is super important. Understanding our unique kind of proposition, and and then. What has become even more important is growing our CRM, capturing that customer on initial visits for us to be able to market to them through email and SMS and other channels to eventually, when they are ready, get them to purchase. Yeah, that 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 kind of initial touch point is super important for us. Yeah. So what have been some of the, the big challenges over, I suppose, again, the last year? Um, specifically focusing like i guess on the marketing side i'll be honest i think over the last few dozen or so episodes i think i've heard supply chain issues <laughs> pretty, pretty much every single episode oh that's um, gonna be my number one no i'm just kidding yeah uh, <laughs> no i i think for for us it um this has been an interesting one because it's it's been from day one forecasting and understanding how how do we plan ahead and that that obviously has supply chain implications and inventory buys and all of that but for us it's 
virality, at what point do we hit an inflection point where within our category, we've seen it plenty. You're scaling via pay media, you're acquiring customers via pay media, but at what point do you hit that inflection point where organic and word of mouth start to take over and that you don't have to invest as much media dollars in order to acquire your customers? That, that's that been kind of you know line in the sand. What, what, what point are we going to hit that? And we're looking at it from a market by market perspective. I mentioned that we opened up a store in New York Metro. That that obviously would be in a key market for us. So we're looking at from a from an attribution standpoint, what is our paid media channels and organic mix in the New York Metro? And how is that changing from a year ago to six months ago to when we launched the store and in the future and really seeing how that's shifting, doing surveying also in these markets and understanding, you know, how did they hear about us to really, to really get that, that sense of, you know, in our key markets, is that starting to shift? So that that's been our biggest challenge because for us, again, that has tons of implications from a forecasting, from a, from a, a media budgeting perspective as well. So that's been, that's been one of the biggest challenges I would say. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned surveying. My last in-house role, the company used to do a lot of um, like market market research around. Was it? Is it prompt? I think it's prompted and unprompted brand recognition, isn't it? Yeah. And that was always a almost like a key focus. It was almost like a KPI for the business. We wanted to make sure we were always one of the top brands mentioned yeah. when us when people were asked about our category. And I don't think enough brands do it. Oh yeah. Really. But it, it feeds really well into what you were saying, right? You want to know when you can, when you're less reliant on the paid channels because those organic channels, you know, word of mouth, social referral, all those channels are picking up more. Right. And you're going to be able to do that through, you know, assessing, do people actually know of your brand and just seeing how that's changing over time and yeah, how it changes along with certain events. So like the opening of a store, like six months later, how does that, change in uh, brand recognition look right right yep yep we we have typically run qualitative research like that on a biannual basis because we know it, it you know we we could do that on a monthly but we feel that every 6 months or so is kind of giving us enough time to to you know market it and and build a brand and understand like what shifts we're seeing from that perspective. We're in a category where there's a lot of legacy brands, brands that are owned by large conglomerates run in retail, right? Walmart, Target, brands that are coming from Europe that have been around for 30, 40 years and their number one products are synonymous with the category. So we're up against some pretty behemoth, you know, type brands, but for us incrementally growing and, and picking away at them, right? And, and trying to start to build that recognition that you're talking about. So that those are definitely helpful data points and data points that our investors love to hear too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So what, what are you focused on at the moment? What's the, what are the big topics for you right now? Yeah, way too many. I would say <laughs> what we're trying to do a better job at is actually distilling what are like the, the two or three kind of focal points for our growth team over the next six months. And I would say one of them is, is reducing friction and an increasing conversion rate. That is, that has been 
to my point around like virality, conversion rate is definitely one of our biggest kind of hurdles that we need to get over right now. So from a virality perspective, I look at it in terms of payload, it's essentially like how many customers are we able to reach on a daily, weekly basis, frequency, how often are we able to reach them and then conversion rate. Payload is is growing. I mentioned we're trying to draw, you know, drive up our CRM list and get more people into that into that funnel. <clears throat> Frequency, our scaled pay media has definitely um, helped us from that perspective and getting our our message in front of more people more frequently. But conversion rate has been has been one of those kind of hurdles that is just incrementally growing it, um, going to have a last, like a major, major impact on our business. So from, from that perspective, what we're really trying to focus more on is creating that in-store experience, especially for maybe furniture online. And, and how do we, how do we, how do we mirror that? And, and how do we get that customer to feel that, what we call magical moment where, they are touching the product and not only touching the product, but having the product in their home and experiencing it with their baby. Right. That is, that is, I, I have a six month old and I actually just started solids with, with with my son two weeks ago. And obviously we have a Lalo high chair at home. And I will say that being a marketer for the last year and now having experienced the product in my home, my son in the seat, having his first avocado has been truly an amazing experience. So now it's how do we how do we get people obviously to activate and, and use the product, but how do we get them to feel that way in the online experience? We're we're going through a full website redesign. We're shooting new content that we've tested prior and 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 know that this is the type of content and imagery and video that works for our customers and, and creating more of it for our website experience to, you know, get them to feel that way. Yeah. It's, it's what I talk about a lot. The, that in getting, obviously it's not replicating the in-store experience, but it's trying to, trying to think about what they want, what customers want from the in-store experience and how can you get as close as possible to that online? Right. Right. How can you get them to, you know, obviously they're just looking at pictures of the products and reading a description but how could you get them to almost feel like they are in the room with it, looking at it, you know, right. possibly even experiencing it right there and then. Right. And because yeah. that's, that's, what's going to make them say, cool, this, this is the product for me. This is going right. to be the right, the right, the right chair for us. And have somebody to speak to right. Our, our yeah. customer experience team sits within our marketing org and is a vital, vital part of our business right now. They have reduced their, their time to answer under five minutes at this point is pretty, pretty amazing given the scale that we've seen and email and direct message as well. Mm -hmm. So we, we've recently created an experience on our mobile device where there's a text button on the very bottom um, of the screen and it opens up um, your native texting app and you can text with our customer experience team. So just try to make that, you know, a lot more frictionless and a lot more like I was just saying that in-store experience, what you're alluding to, right? Like somebody to speak to, somebody to ask questions. There's plenty to go around with with baby products. The safety aspect is is a number one. So so again, yeah, just having that kind of like touch point is, is super helpful and beneficial. 
Yeah, absolutely. I've um, I did some conversational SMS with one of my clients last year, only only doing it for abandoned cart initially, yeah. but that worked really well. I mean, yeah. I think conversion rate was about 20, 25%. Right. Um, and this is after, so we, we, we were outsourcing it and this agency, the first thing they did was stick a discount code in there. So literally the first message you'd receive was like, hey, it's Will from this company. I noticed you left this in your basket. Would a discount help? That's pretty much the message. So obviously, you're going to get a lot of people just saying, "Yeah, cool, I'll take a discount." Yeah, and then and then go buy it. And that conversion rate was about 40 percent. So I switched it up and said, "No, we need to be we need to be asking why. You know, what's the main reason?" I think. In fact, I think what we did was we offered reasons. Like, is it any of these four reasons? And when people responded to that, they then had a response to give. So if someone said right. shipping issues. We had a response to that. If someone said the cost, we'd have a response. And then it was, if they didn't get the conversion after about three or four messages, and it was you know hitting a dead end with the conversation, yeah. then they were allowed to offer a discount. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, conversion rate obviously dropped to 20, 25%, I think. We might have removed the discount completely, actually. But we're getting so much more value. Those are all data they, points for you right there. Yeah, we're understanding what what the friction points are, so we can address that on the website. The team were able to upsell people, so right. I think we, when the issue was shipping, because the shipping, yeah, you know, shipping fee threshold was higher than the cost of the hero product. Mm-hmm. So we said, well, if you want to avoid that, you can either buy two of the products or you can buy the the bundle, right? Right, and so people went, oh, we didn't know about the bundle. Check that out, and then they go buy it because it makes sense because it was a really right. complementary bundle. But that you know that bundle, I think kind of three times the basket value. Yeah. So you're getting huge value, and it's just that conversational approach that did it. So yep. Yep. yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm a big fan of this now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like like you were saying, like asking those questions for for us as well, right? When when we're building our CRM, it's it's not just a matter of converting them. Obviously, that's that's the end game and getting them to experience our product, but we look at it as 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 data right like these customers don't need to just be marketed to from a promotional perspective or here are the features and benefits of our product and shoving that down their mouth what we also leverage our audience for is is building that community we actually have what's called a lalo fam council for instance so this is a community of experts and parents in the space that want to be heard and, and, and want to give their feedback. So we're, we're openly inviting them into this program and we get tons of feedback from it and tons of engagement. And that's, you know, as we grow our list, that amount of data, that amount of survey and, and responses continues to grow. And it is extremely, extremely helpful for us. We use it not just for, you know, reviews for our product. We, also use it for product development. Our latest colorway that we launched, we're very strategic when it comes to this, was given to us because of the surveying that we that we had from our CRM. Yeah. So just two points I want to touch on quickly. Yeah. Um, obviously, with, with products like yours, I, I can imagine if you stuck a, an exit intent survey, exit intent pop-up on the website, which asked, you know, what is the number one reason you didn't make a purchase today? Yeah. You know, uh, I imagine price will come up on a very, very small basis, very small number of people are going to yep. say price is the issue. 
majority of the time, it's probably going to be questions about the product itself, right? You know, like you said, the safety. I'm not a parent, so I've never been through this. So I don't know what sort of questions there are, but yeah, yeah. yeah questions around, you know, is is this the right product for right. for my family? But when it comes to abandoned carts and things, like so many businesses just focus on, oh, you didn't buy this. A few days later, oh, you didn't buy this. Would a ten percent discount help? Right, right. It's like, well, yeah, it might help some people who most likely just weren't ready to purchase for some reason, and have then gone, cool, I'm ready to purchase. I'll take a discount. But yeah, the vast majority of people, it's it's not it's not the discount. It's not the price that's the issue. It's it's some other right. concern or or just reason that they've had to um, abandon their shopping experience right. at that at that point. You've, you've probably um, grown accustomed to it at this point, and you're you're almost abandoning because you expect that, you know, email yeah, to well, come in and for I mean, a ten percent discount. You know, I think it was late last year. My mum commented on it to me and said she'd uh, she'd been shopping on this website. She'd had to go do something else, and she received an email a bit later saying you left this in your basket. Here's a discount. Mm-hmm. But so now my mum knows this trick <laughs> exactly. of, of abandoning yep. a website. And it's 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 one of these lazy kind of best practices that came in. Mm-hmm. People haven't been really trying to understand how to how to deal with abandoned carts. It's just been, you know, the advice has been you send an email 30 minutes later, then you send an email 24 hours after that with a discount. Right. And that's right. that's how you recover carts. Right. Um the other part was you mentioned CX team sits within marketing, mm-hmm. right? I like that. That's something that I've I've pushed for before in organizations that I've been in because it makes sense, right? That that feedback that you're going to get from that team yep. then needs to be distributed to all your acquisition teams, your retention team, uh, your your website team, yep. because you, you you're able to make these changes. So, yeah. it is has that always sat in that team, or is that a change that's been? No, the, that was a conscious decision from the very beginning, especially given our category and the the nuance of a newborn coming into a parent's life that we needed we needed a team and support that was going to be there to answer those really important questions. So that was definitely a conscious decision. I would say that feedback loop is phenomenal. We we have our Slack channel that we're constantly engaging with our customer experience team on on a daily basis and relaying, like you said, that that information into how we're developing our content. 100%. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. And so just on conversion rates, are you so do you have a, a kind of a conversion program, CRO program in place? Do you do A-B test or is it kind of based off that feedback, just making yeah. tweaks and things? Yeah. Yeah. So, and it, this is a work in progress, 100%. Um, we're, we're a small team. We're, we're a pretty, pretty nimble team and we like to move fast. What I tried to instill was more of like an experiment-driven growth organization, meaning very methodical in terms of how we're testing and understanding different experiments and, and what incrementality they have for our business. What I found, though, is that by logging what we call experiments, essentially different tests in a very specific amount of time, was that we were hypothesizing data analysis paralysis and not testing enough. So we've kind of taken a step back and continue to annotate, 
which I think is super important. I think a lot of brands don't do this today is we continue to annotate and log our results, but we're not going as deep from a hypothesis perspective. We're not trying to overthink a test. We're, we're going in and we're doing it and we're seeing the results. And again, we're logging the results. So we have an archived list of different tests that we could go back on and, and understand what worked, what didn't work. I think for us, conversion rate, there's so many different factors that go into it. And what we're trying to do a better job at is, is mapping that customer journey. So we're testing different, different things along the way, right? Our growth team heavily focused on the paid media side of things, right? What are, what are the different angles and content that we're passing to our customers? There's three or four very unique messages around our product that we hammer home. But what are the what is the other 19, right? Like there's plenty of other areas that we can test and learn through copy and creative that allows us to scale those tests that we then can test on our website from a landing page perspective against a product page or something along those lines. And then test, you know, things along the lines, you know, in cart and that entire journey is really kind of mapped out through this experimentation roadmap. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. And uh, yeah, so you mentioned landing pages. Yeah. Which is quite interesting because I wanted to ask you about like scaling media, basically, because you've talked about, you know, trying to grow those channels and that kind of, I guess, considered growth, right? You know, not scaling too quickly, making sure you're yeah. doing things properly. So yeah, how are you, how are you going about scaling these channels and, you know, staying efficient with it, you know, making sure you're, you're comfortable with the, the results and the data that you're getting? Yeah, but landing pages is definitely a, a major component of of our media spend. We originally had a, a couple landing pages that we knew worked. We drove and we continue to drive, to be honest, a lot of traffic to our product pages. And that's only because creating landing pages is a lot of work and, and you need the resources in order to be able to scale that individual tactic, right? So what we're what we're trying to do is simplify it a bit. I think a lot of brands overcomplicate landing pages and really try to stuff it with as much information as possible in order to sell the customer. For us, we're trying to templatize. So more recently, we're shifting to a Shopify 2.0 theme that allows us to create sections, essentially modules within the theme that are essentially movable, right? You, you No longer can you just use sections on the homepage. The sections can be used on different pages throughout the website. So we create a templatized section for the homepage. We can then use it and reuse it for different landing pages as well and plug and play with different content. So that's, that's going to allow us to scale more quickly from a landing page perspective and test more landing pages versus just the, the few that we, have, that we have over the last few months. Yeah, definitely sounds like it helped. And yeah, I've used landing pages a lot in the past yeah. and it does really help if you've got a template that you can pretty much just copy right. and then just go in and tweak various assets. Right. I mean, in fact, it's the two businesses I can think of where pretty much all our acquisition went to landing pages. It was pretty much just a case of yeah, changing the banner, changing some copy and changing a few other bits. So I worked for a company called Readly, which is like a, uh, Spotify for magazines, right? And all you, all you can read app. And, you know, so if we were acquiring the audience of a particular type of magazine, 
we would make sure that the content on the landing page is that magazine plus similar magazines mm-hmm. and all right. focused around that category because that's that's our assumption on what, what these people are interested in. Right. You know, so if we're if we're advertising recipes and, and cooking magazines, we're not really then going to put sports magazines uh, on that landing page as well because it, right. it doesn't make sense. But yeah, it was this ability to just go in, click duplicate, and uh, change the URL and quickly change out those those images and, and some of the copy. It, it meant, yeah, you could you could have a landing page up in 15, 15 30 minutes. Right. Which yeah. is just yeah, fantastic, especially for yeah. a small team. Right. And make making it, you know, less less development heavy too. Right. Yeah. And just being able to kind of plug and play is super important as well. And yeah, and really once you once you have got your your kind of core messages nailed and you, and you know what works for the majority of people. Yep. I, I, we did find that just those small customizations is all it took. You know, we, we didn't have to completely restructure the page and get entirely new like content modules in there. It, right. it really was just a case of saying, we've just got to st- strip out these images, replace them with these and change the messaging from, you know, all your favorite sports magazines in one place to all your favorite cooking magazines in one place. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. just creating that, that little bit more relevance to the, to the advertising it just worked really well. Yep. Yep. Exactly. It's awesome. Cool. So anything else you wanted to mention on the, the media side? One, one, one last thing that I was thinking about and is, is a hot topic too, is, is um, kind of ranking customers. So there, there's different acronyms for this for for some brands it's rfm and recency frequency monetary value of customers for us it's really understanding our power users and our, our high value customers and, and what makes them tick so so recently and we've seen some moderate success with this we launched with a platform called black crow they essentially do ranking of customers based on different data points you know time on site number of page views products they've purchased and so on and it's allowed us to split our visitors into low, medium, and high groupings. I think we need to go layers deeper on that, but for now, it's been beneficial because it's allowed us to be more efficient with our media spend. I didn't mention this, but I would say a second in terms of our biggest challenges, a second is continuing to scale media, but be efficient, which is... Yeah. which is. <laughs> obviously a challenge for for all marketers but for us it's as we're as we're scaling the business virality is a big component of that word of mouth and organic growth but also trying to be more strategic with how we market to higher value customers versus medium and low right medium and low might receive a promotion from us versus high value customers we don't think we need to promote to them yeah. they don't need that discount so what are the hooks that we can get them to eventually buy from us so interestingly, yeah, I agree with what you said there, right? The the guys, you, the the people you identify as high value customers, you've identified them as high value customers because they like your products, you know, they're engaged with your brand, that sort of thing. They shouldn't really need a discount to move them over the line. I worked in gambling for a bit in the UK, and we basically had the opposite approach, right? So the the VIPs, they're the ones who get huge bonuses and huge promotions. You know, deposit. Uh, deposit a thousand pounds and you'll get four thousand pounds worth of bonus cash plus free spins and all that sort of stuff. Whereas you identify the low value customers and they're the ones you're saying, 
we we're not going to give you a promotion because we know you're only here for the promotion right. and right. their you know their their lifetime value is just not it's just not worth i suppose the risk of giving them these big bonuses yep um because yep. i mean the company pays tax on the bonus as well so there's you know there is that to consider yep. we know that someone who spends 100 grand a year is going to keep spending that money even if no matter what bonuses we give them no matter what what winnings they get a lot of them will just keep playing it's the the lower value people they're the ones who when they get a decent win they disappear right yeah that's that's a very important point and something that we're also trying to get better at is understanding lifetime value based on initial initial touch point right like did did they receive a coupon in that initial visit and are they coming back to purchase yeah. I think we're we're still a relatively new brand and that data is starting to come in for us. But yeah, that, that has obviously massive impact on 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 longer term growth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, just before we finish, is there anyone in anyone else in the DTC marketing space that you'd want to go for lunch with, have a chat with? Plenty of people. Yeah, there I, I do a lot of reading. I there's there's one guy, Ed Baker. He's the former VP of growth at Uber. Talking about virality, this guy basically invented <laughs> the term virality and 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 he taught a Stanford MBA class and every student went out and created a viral product. That was pretty pretty amazing case study. He'd be one for sure. And then more on uh the product side always uh, amazes me. Brandon Chu, he's he's a VP of product. I follow on Twitter, amazing content he's pushing out there, but he has a lot of great ideas around mental models and where to invest your time and energy in terms of high impact, kind of like low low investment type of opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. It's something we look at a lot in CRO. Uh, yeah. You can come up with all these hypotheses, all these ideas, but you have to rank them on you know the impact they're going to have, the, the effort that they're going to going to take to implement it's not the case that you you always rule out the the high development stuff it's but but yeah you've got to be looking at the the impact you're expecting to receive from that cool and are there any marketing tools that you you guys use that you'd recommend yeah there's there's definitely a few that i'm in daily i I would say a couple a couple that are kind of i don't know what the word is but they're not used as often as marketers should. So Google Tag Manager is a really important one. Obviously, for us, really trying to find ways that we can understand the different nuances of our website and and tag it properly and make sure that we're taking in all the data that we possibly can. So we're continuing to adjust in there. Go Data Feed is another that that one powers our Google Shopping campaigns and Google Merchant Center. Go Data Feed allows us to really manipulate the data um, that. Instead of having to change it on our website and Shopify, it allows us to essentially manipulate our shopping ads the way we want them to be. So that's been a really amazing tool. And I would say another one that I absolutely enjoy diving into the analytics on is Inquire Labs, which is our post-purchase survey. Oh, yeah. And that one gives us a lot of great data about how our customers have heard about us, but not just what they're saying they've heard about us. From, but also um, understanding how they're tagged on a last click basis and you know where they actually came from. So that's been a that's been an awesome just, tool. Just out of interest, like how well does it match up? Not well at all. So <laughs> that's that's been actually amazing for us. That's been a huge unlock, right? So a lot of people say they've either heard about us from Instagram or 
from Babylist, a retail partner I mentioned earlier on, um, or word of mouth through a friend or family. But oftentimes they're tagged on a last click from Google paid search because they've heard about us from Instagram, came to our website, then came back eventually through a paid search ad or affiliate is another channel that usually gets a last click attribution. So it just kind of helps us understand our customer journey a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, actually, this has been absolutely like really interesting stuff. Really, yeah, loved it. Especially the, honestly, the bit about your CX team being in marketing. I think it's the first time I've actually really heard of that, but it's something that I've, I've tried to push before. Cool. If anyone wanted to reach out and, and have a chat with you about what you're up to, what's the best way of doing that? Yeah, I would, I would say shoot me an email. That's, that's probably my best responding channel, I would say. So Axel, A-X-E-L, at meetlalo.com. And I would say that's the best way to get a hold of me. Awesome, right? Thank you so much, Axel. Yeah, thanks a lot, Will. When you take on funding, it can be really tempting to just turn the tap on and spend, spend, spend. But as as Axel mentioned, it's really important to be strategic about where you're spending money. Uh, It's really important to understand which channels are driving growth and which channels have more opportunity for growth as well. So while some of their focus has switched to improving LTV, getting customers to come back and buy other products, opening new channels is really, really important. Uh, And a couple of their top channels are actually partnerships and their own store. I really like the the general approach to new channels that Axel mentioned uh, about how it's important to really understand the channel, understand if it's going to work for you organically, uh, because if it doesn't, then you're taking a big risk by throwing money at it. If you'd like to hear more from Axel, you can find him on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or tweet me at Will Lawrenson. Next up, I've got Blake and Pearl joining me. We're going to be talking about SMS and how it's more than just a revenue channel and how it can be used to build better relationships with your customers. But until then, keep those customers clicking.